Well, good morning, church. It is great to be here, and I'm honored to at least be a messenger this morning of good news. I realize that the the collection, the giving that you'll be doing today does not, thankfully, just bless Eastern Europe as part of the world, Uh, but I saw, even in the restroom, uh, I saw some... uh, captive audience uh, marketing, I guess, in your restroom, reminding me that, that we're taking up a collection today. So that was encouraging. And to see Eastern European listed, but right alongside what Guatemala uh, or Honduras, uh, someone else was telling me a story about their trip to Guatemala, uh, but also to Kenya and to things that are statewide in Texas, it looks like, and other just local things right here in Grand Prairie. And so I praise God for everything that he is doing through you and in you uh, right now. And if you're like me, you just praise God for the things he's doing despite us as well. So I know that, that God is using this church. And that was evident in the first service as well. And I've had some pumpkin spice and coffee since then. So I'm, I'm ready to go here for second service as well. In fact, Mickey and I, as we had communion passed, we, I said, you know, a double portion of communion is just a good thing. We should do this every Sunday. So <laughs> I'm not sure if that's scriptural or not, but we partook twice, didn't we? So. And I had no idea that Luke and Serena Coles are now here at your church. I thought they were still living in Houston. I I grew up with Luke and his family in Portland, Oregon, of all places. And I remember first meeting Serena and her parents who helped run a Christian camp in uh, British Columbia, Canada, of all places. She was a 12-year-old jumping up and down on the trampoline at this camp when I brought a bunch of youth up from Oregon as the youth minister at that point. So... So I want to start with a story that that I believe God just caused me to remember as I opened up my folder. I actually had this note. I haven't shared this story in at least a year, but I was visiting a church uh, where Luke and and Serena used to be at here probably four or five years ago, and Dina, Serena's mom, happened to be visiting that day from Canada, and lo and behold, here I have a printout of Dina's picture and, and Serena, and this is probably one of the, maybe their middle child several years ago. I'm sure she is taller now. But Dina, Serena's mom, grew up in Belgium. And so this was what she came up and told me afterwards. I said, could you write that down? I need to share that with people. So this is what she sent me by email. This, again, four or five years ago. Uh, So Dina says, my father, as a teenager, dreamed of becoming a teacher, and his parents agreed to let him go to teaching school. This school was run by Catholic priests, and so one of the courses was entitled, Learning How to Defend Your Faith. And even though Belgium was a Catholic country, the Bible was a book that technically was forbidden for common people to read. How can that be? Well, it was at that time, 1955, and it was only available to people, uh, only available to the clergy who would do the Mass in Latin. Mass was also held in Latin where they did read from the Latin Bible. However, in this Defend Your Faith class, each of the students was actually given a heart language Bible, a Dutch Bible, to read and use as a study tool. Well, my father, Serena's grandfather, was totally engrossed in the reading of this wonderful book of good news. And so shortly after the course began, he was kicked out of school 
for asking too many questions as to why the Catholic Church wasn't doing the things that he found in Scripture. Knowledge he had gained from the Bible simply by reading his assigned passages from teaching school. Well, World War II started. Flanders, the city where my father lived with his parents, was especially hard hit. And after being expelled from teacher's college, my father went to accounting school. So he was forced to work in the offices of the German commanders as an accountant. And it was here that he met my mother. They were married during the war in the Catholic Church, but my father never gave up studying his Dutch Bible. And after their marriage began, he introduced his wife to these truths also. They eventually met a group of believers in another nearby town, and they were baptized into Christ. Well, I, Dina, was the eighth child in a family of ten children. I was born and raised in Belgium, in this predominantly Catholic country. And when I was a young girl, we were one of two Christian families that met every Sunday together in our homes to worship in a town of maybe 50,000 people. Our family would do something special. We would parcel up one or two Bibles at that time and send them to different places behind the Iron Curtain. We made the parcels as ordinary looking as possible with brown paper. My father had never forgotten how his life had changed when he first got a Bible in his own language. I'm not sure where my father got the addresses, but somehow he did. For about two and a half years, our two families sent Bibles every time we had saved up enough money to purchase them. We sent them to different locations in these communist countries of Eastern Europe. Well, by the third year of sending these Bibles, we actually received a letter back in the mail. And so it was with great joy that my mom handed the letter to dad when he arrived home from work that night. We all eagerly sat around the table before dinner as dad opened the letter with what we hoped would be long-anticipated news that someone unknown to us had received one of our Bibles and it had changed their lives. Well, Dad started reading the letter, but his countenance fell because the words said, You will be one of the first we come for when we take your country over. It is illegal to read this book. The letter was signed by a high-ranking Soviet official. Well, I, Dina, was only 10 or so and very much afraid when my father read these words. I had read in the Bible how Christians had been persecuted and even put to death because of their faith in Jesus. But my father was a very wise and humble man. And he looked at all of us and simply said, We have someone to remember in our prayers tonight, family. We closed our eyes as we did every evening in prayer. And dad prayed for the official 
who had written and sent us that letter. My dad's words included that this man might be, become so bored that he too would pick up the illegal book and start reading for himself the truth. Powerful story. Serena is the seed of this very story. So you are blessed with Luke and Serena. And I know that, that they are a blessing. Uh, it goes both ways, that you're a blessing to them as well. Well, that was a long time ago, 1955. And now, as you're about to see on the screen here, last year was just an incredible year. The Bible, we want everyone to get it, but, but take a look at this next slide Almost 1.2 million Bibles were asked for just from our organization. We give them free to everyone. It's because of congregations and individuals like you all that we're able to give them. Our average cost is about $5 per Bible. So you can do the math. That's a lot of money. But praise God, 1.2 million people. And we haven't increased the size of our staff. There's... This was up 59% from 2016 in terms of how many people asked for the Bible, for the other Bible-based materials that we print. So we give praise to God for what he is doing in the hearts of people in Eastern Europe. 30 different nations. We print in 22 different languages. I won't say the names of all of those nations for fear that the uh, signer here would... uh, Uh, put me to shame at how well she might spell those words. But it's amazing what God is doing in a part of the world where, you know, 70, 80 years you go without the Bible, you get thirsty for the living water. And that's what we're seeing right now. In between our services, I was speaking with an older gentleman. We were talking about how we pray our country does not have to go through something like what that part of the world did so that we will wake up as a nation to the blessings of God, the freedoms we have, and the precious, just like, was it Judy? Is that her name? Whatever that lady's name in Kenya, holding her Bible with joy. We need to clutch our Bibles with joy. We need to be sharing the message of Christ more so than ever before because our nation needs to hear that. But I say thank you to all of you. And this picture may be the best way that I could do that. You all gave $5,000 in your last gift. That's a 1,000 seeds being planted into the hearts of people who are asking for it. Receptive, hungry people for God's word. Over all of the years, your congregation has given $25,000 to this particular ministry. Just a part of your larger missions efforts. Well, that's 5,000 seeds of the good news. And in a beautiful way, that's impossible to quantify the good that you are doing. And so I hope that with every single dollar that you give today or in the future, and for whatever local or global effort, I pray that you are praying with your giving because prayer is the most foundational and powerful piece of what we can do. Amen? If it's not bathed in prayer, then we're doing it out of our own strength. And we don't want to just have, you know, a few loaves and fish. We want God to do the miracle, right? 
and feed everybody that shows up to hear Jesus. So thank you. Your missions leaders, of course, are making plans to support all of these different efforts out of what you're going to give today. Uh, This particular project, you may go to the next slide after this one as well. This particular project that we are in the midst of right now and that you're giving will help us. Uh, We're in the midst of providing 531,000 Bibles and books to eight different countries. I think the next slide will show these eight different countries by their flags and also geographically on the map. Just amazing opportunities. We talked about a little bit, Carson did before communion, about Bibleless people, people who have no scripture. Did you know Serbia, only one time in human history have they had the Bible translated into the Serbian language, and it was 150 years ago. So it's so obsolete, no one can read that Bible for at least the last three generations, Serbians have told us. Well, this year, in March, a new modern Serbian translation was was translated and made available. And so now we're, we're receiving, you know, this year, 15,000 requests. We've already given five. Another 10 are slated to go. And this is just the beginning of millions in Serbia who, once they know the Bible is available, will want to have it. So just one story from the eight different countries. So thank you in advance for what you're doing today. And let's just keep on praying for our country and all of these others on the other side of the world as well. Please open your Bibles, if you have them today, to Hebrews chapter 2. We will be looking at one particular verse in Hebrews chapter 2 here in just a couple of minutes. You know, fear is something that in our world is, is far too abundant, right? I mean, even as Christians, we can have some days that are dominated by fear. And certainly the world without Christ is just subject, even as Scripture says, to, to a slavery to fear. It dominates far too many hearts. And regardless of your race, your language, your country, fear can enslave and does enslave many people. God has perhaps more to say about this subject than than just about any other subject. In fact, 365 times you can find a reference in the Bible saying, in essence, do not be afraid. Remember who you have. God Almighty, do not be afraid. Well, this morning, through video technology, they're not here with us, But I'm going to introduce you to some people who once certainly had lives dominated by fear. They were living lives enslaved to fear. And yet the freedom of Christ begins to break into their lives. And so as we watch this first video, just take note at this beginning of the transformation from fear into the freedom of Christ. In 2014, the Ukrainian city of Donetsk became one of the centers of the ongoing pro-Russian conflict in Ukraine. A 
2016 UN report claims that people who lived in separatist-controlled areas were experiencing complete absence of rule of law. Since 2013, over 10,000 lives have been lost in the conflict. Day after day, it was becoming obvious that it's getting more and more dangerous. Then um, a bomb exploded very close to my apartment building, and uh, I decided that we, we should not wait any longer. So I just took the most necessary belongings, put my daughter in the car, and we, we left the city of Daniels. Since 2015, various conflicts across the Middle East have forced millions of refugees into Europe, with Greece hosting more than one million. Many are coming into contact with Christianity for the first time. Thank you for coming and hearing our story. We're from Afghanistan. I was really lost and I searched for God everywhere. When we were in the refugee camp and I read the Bible for the first time, it was speaking directly to me. The most interesting thing to me was the behavior of the Christians. They helped us in every way they could. This, this strength of teachings of Jesus was very interesting to me. This made me attracted to Christianity. One night my wife had gone to the church and they had given her a Bible. And she told me that she was going to turn to Jesus Christ. And I told her, if you turn to Christianity, I will either kill you or divorce you and let you go. When I was a child, the uh, Bible was a very uh, rare, rare book. My family haven't had a Bible, but I always wanted to have one. My parents were uh, atheists. They were teaching me what is right and what is wrong, but they never spoke about God. So my curiosity was growing. In order to buy a Bible, me and my father went to Orthodox Church, but they haven't had Bibles available. In 1994, we had uh, evangelistic uh, campaign in the neighborhood where I uh, lived, I decided that I want to be baptized. When I was uh, baptized, the next thing that happened, I received a Bible. And I was um, the happiest teenager in the world because I had a Bible uh, and I could read it. And that was a Bible printed by So you met Dasha in this first video, raised in an atheist family with a father who loved her enough to take her to the local Orthodox church, but there were no Bibles there. Crazy. She ends up going to this, this campaign, this evangelistic outreach, and becomes a Christian, is baptized there, and the first thing that she gets is a Bible. And the words may, may kind of flow past our ears uh, easily because it's something that we can so easily take for granted. But did you hear what she said? She said, I always wanted to have a Bible. And then once I got it, I had a Bible and I could read it. It's like those people in Serbia having a, a Bible that's 150 years old, that's, that's Serbian language has changed so much you can't read it. Well, in her case, she had nothing. But now she had the Bible. 
She could read it. It was in her own language. You met Yusefi here on the screen as well. He said, when I read the Bible for the first time in the refugee camp in Greece, it was speaking directly to me. What a great example for us. When was the first time that you read Scripture? Can you recall? And when was the first time that you consciously were reading Scripture and said to the Lord, Thank you. I know you are speaking directly to me through what I am reading in the Bible. Well, for Yusefi, it was the very first time that he opened Scripture. He knew it in that refugee camp. And then Yasser, perhaps he stands out more than anyone else, at least to me in this video. Did you hear what he said when his wife simply took interest in Christianity and got a Bible from this group of Christians? As a faithful, lifelong Muslim and her husband, he says, well, I may just have to kill you or at least divorce you and let you go if you keep on reading this Bible. Hebrews 2, verse 15, Jesus came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear. Let me read it again. Jesus came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear. In all three of these people's lives, Fear is just beginning to give way to that freedom that Christ was bringing into their lives. Well, Dasha is now a full-time employee of EEM. She's been employed by our organization longer than I have, more than seven or eight years now. She is our country director in Ukraine. She's a single mom. She oversees our whole staff in Ukraine, and of all the 30 countries that we serve, we have a larger volume of Bible requests in that country, Ukraine, than any other. She's the one that it all works through. As we watch this next video, note how Dasha's life is not only changing, but she is allowing the Word of God to change her entire country. So let's watch this next video. Thank you. 
valuable in more than 50% of Ukrainian schools. They had given her a Bible. I was unemployed and bored, so I started reading this book. As I was reading, many questions were formed in my head, and every day I began to understand it more. There was nothing left for me. I had forgotten all my life worries and only thought about the holy book. And all of God's plans for humankind was suddenly clear to me. At that moment, I had to either refuse life and stay in my nothingness or accept it. Naturally, in our first days, we didn't know much about the holy book. And we were beginning to understand the word Christ little by little through the classes that were held for us. And it can be said that the message that Christ delivered to us humans was one for us to find a path so that we can have a peaceful and holy life on earth. For myself, the most intriguing aspect was this kindness and peace. Every verse in the Bible is unique and beautiful. I really like the story of the lost prodigal son. church who hosts refugees, and we were learning more, and I finally decided to be baptized. We were lost children, and now we're found. I was in the room when that Ukrainian student that you might have had a hard time hearing actually spoke up in all the schools that we have visited where we've given Bibles. Usually there's just sort of a, a quiet buzz of anticipation. The Americans are here. They're visiting us. They're, they're the ones that gave us these Bibles. But, but usually it's kind of silent. And when my boss, Dirk Smith, asked that question, so, so what has has been the most life-changing thing that you have learned from Christian ethics, it was kind of surprising to hear this young man in there in the middle actually speak up and ask a very bold question as his answer. He basically said, I, I want to be a good man for my country, but what do we do with Vladimir Putin? He's killing our people. For many years, this war has been going on in eastern Ukraine, and so for for a number of the formative years of this, uh, now he's probably a sophomore. Last year he was a freshman. He has only known Vladimir Putin to be a murderer of his people, as he would say in his own words. So the answer was difficult, but, but my boss took that question and said, you know, as Christians, we are called to do something that is very difficult, and that is to love our enemies. And so we look forward to seeing what you will do as you stay in your country. So many young people are leaving Ukraine, wanting a better future. At least they sense a better future might be outside their country. But I hope that this young man will stay because he has the boldness that could really change the future of his country further. Yasser, did you catch in the, in the subtitles there, he was unemployed and bored, so in the refugee camps, coming all the way across the Mediterranean. His wife is the one that's interested in the Bible, and he's threatened to kill her 
or divorce her. And yet he's, he's so bored that he breaks out the Bible and starts reading it, looking for ammunition against her. But the Holy Spirit gets a hold of his heart as he investigates with bad motives reading the Bible. It shows the power. If God can do something that beautiful in his heart, what can he do in our hearts as we go asking, Lord, open our hearts to read your word. What do you have to tell us today? Well, he got to the point where all, he says, the questions of life were becoming clear. And he realized, in his own words, he said, I had to either refuse life and stay in my nothingness or accept it. He had come to a difficult fork in the road and yet one that was sort of rhetorical. How could he stay in his nothingness? He realized the freedom that Christ was offering him and his wife and his children. Yusefi, the one who first opens scripture in the refugee camp, he goes on to say, you know, I love the richness of the stories of God in the Bible. And my favorite, I really like that story of the lost prodigal son. We were lost children, and now we are found. Praise God. And to realize that, to have a, a profound and deep understanding that we truly were lost, whether we were raised in a Christian home and, and came to an understanding of that or Open up a Bible for the first time in a refugee camp thousands of miles from the Muslim world that we grew up in. We were all lost, and we can be found. All humankind, whether we realize it or not, is thirsty for Christ to come into our lives. In this final video, you will see our brothers and sisters now become our brothers and sisters. Watch how the freedom of Christ breaks into their lives when they truly make Jesus the leader of their lives. Into this subject. 
parents were very upset for some time. I have two younger brothers, but I also encouraged them. We are now in contact with each other, and I have told them that the choice is yours to make. They have to study the Bible. My dream is that every person makes a Bible a part of the daily life. And my dream is that every student has opportunity to find out about God. We try to stay open to any new opportunity. Of course, when people hear about our passion, when they see the books that we are ready to provide free of charge, when they see the quality and the message that it brings, they like this idea. We do what, what we can, and God blesses our efforts. I want to thank supporters for their sacrifice, and I want to thank them for changing the future of my country. Isn't that beautiful? And you know, when Dasha says, thank you for changing the future of my country, Ukraine, she's speaking to you. You all deserve to hear that video. You deserve to hear her in person say this, and she'd love to say it to you in person. But I'm so glad that I can at least introduce you to Dasha, to Yasser, to Yusefi, all the other people that they represent just through their own stories. So Dasha is thanking you as she says thank you for helping change the future of my country. Changing whole countries, isn't this the will of God? And as Christ's freedom breaks in, it looks like this, right? Future leaders who are bold and willing to be good men, good women, whatever the cost. And Christ's freedom is designed to set people free from the slavery of fear. And so it looks like these faces of even younger students in Ukraine. And it causes the lost to be found in Christ, even where we would perhaps from our human perspective not guess that it would ever penetrate the heart. Christ has set us free for freedom. That is good news. Now, in our country, as Americans, the Statue of Liberty is perhaps the greatest symbol of freedom. And yet, regardless of nationality or country or language around the world, the freedom that Jesus gives us will last beyond this life, even when that statue is in ruins. What we've been given as freedom in Christ truly is universal and lasts for every, forever and is for everyone. 
So this morning, as I understand in this series that you're going through, making space where God wants us to make space, he is calling us to make space for other ethnicities, other people who speak different languages, who come from or live in different countries. You can do that right here in Grand Prairie. You may go, as as one gentleman said this morning, I know I need to go to Honduras. Whatever God is, is telling you and telling me, we need to make space for people who are unlike us, but that this freedom is for as well. If it weren't for Paul, for the many others who went out to the Gentile world, most of us are not Jews in this room, so we would not know Jesus and his freedom. We need to make, make space like Paul did and go to people that we may be uncomfortable completely around. We're about to sing an invitation song. And if you need the power of Christ, today's a great day to be baptized into that power and into that freedom. And if you need that freedom as a Christian to be unleashed into your life more deeply or into some specific problem that is hanging you up, This is a great time to to go to the leaders around uh, this auditorium as we sing and as we stand this final song.